0: What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my trusty co-host, Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, what's going on, man? Hey man, how's it going? Three and a half hours of the Irishman. You stoked? Yeah, uh no, I'm not. <laughs> uh, we're gonna talk about that in a second, and get a little bit further into it. Um before we do though, hit that subscribe button if you're listening on YouTube, go to SoundCloud.com slash to find all the ways to listen to the podcast and go to our YouTube page. Or did I say that already? Go to uh our iTunes page. Go, go a- twice. Three. Go back to YouTube. Yeah. Subscribe and then unsubscribe and subscribe again. Um, yeah. So news came out last week that The Irishman, Marcus Corsese's newest film, it's going to be a, a Netflix property dropped on Netflix, what, a couple weeks after its limited release in theaters will be three and a half hours long. Uh, how how are you feeling about three and a half hours of? Irish? <laughs> yeah, well, I, it's interesting because we've been thinking about The Irishman for a long time. For, you know, I think for good reason. You know, it's the twenty fifth Scorsese movie. Martin Scorsese, seventy six now. There's only a few films left in him. You, you assume, and this also, of course, is the union of Robert De Niro and Scorsese. They haven't had a movie together since Casino '95. This is. Al Pacino's first movie with Scorsese, period. And, of course, Joe Pesci. This is only his third role since 1999. He was basically retired forever. Um, and, of course, him and Gennaro linking up after such a long time as well. So a lot of exciting talent. All I know, of course, and it's written by Steve Zalian, who we last talked about when he wrote The Night Of for HBO, but, you know, accomplished film writer and author and all that. So just really exciting pedigree of course, with this movie. And we talked about it in our Oscars lead-up pod a few months ago. And it's premiering at New York Film Festival on the 27th of September. And that's how we knew about this length. And then, as you alluded to, limited theatrical run on November 1st. And then it'll be on Netflix everywhere on November 27th. But it's three and a half hours long. Yeah. And it's interesting because I, I, part of me wonders if the Scorsese... Shot a lot for this movie, and because they did so much effects work. I mean, the reason this is a Netflix movie is because Paramount dropped it because the budget was ballooning so much with the digital de aging of the old men that are starring in this movie, um, and the Jimmy Hoffa story. So they're they're, they're all being de aged quite a bit. So that's really where the cost went. You wonder if Scorsese is like, we should put all this hard work into shooting this movie and then spend tons of money on. De-aging all these guys. Should we just keep it all in? Or is it maybe because Netflix couldn't get it into theaters because they wouldn't grant a larger exclusivity window that, you know, the theater chains were like, now nah, fuck you. A month is not enough for us to carry this movie, which, which is unfortunate and a different convo and dis- disappointing, but maybe that's why. Who knows? But three and a half hours reportedly, at least that's the festival length. It could change. Uh, some say it's too long. Some don't care. Um I'm awake, I'm waiting and seeing right now. Okay. Because it's Scorsese cuz I'm been excited for this movie. I don't want to have my critical eye uh you know colored. I, I don't want to get in the dirt until we see the movie and yes, maybe it's maybe it's very indulgent and not deserving of the length. It's, again it's fucking dumb long. Um but, <laughs> but let's 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 find that out first before we spread negativity. That's my take on it. Uh my take is too long. Three and a half hours is just too much. Um, I, I, in an age where everything is so compressed, we have, on this podcast, talked about albums that we appreciate for being short and concise.
1: 30 movie, minutes.
0: Yes, we, we talked about The Righteous Gemstones as a comedy and our concerns of an hour-long comedy. If they're not hitting, that can start to feel pretty long. Thankfully, that was just the premiere, not the whole we've talked about movies on here that have an hour 40 minute runtime and we're like, you get in, you get out, you enjoy it. Perfect. And then I'm sitting here and I'm like, God damn it. If it wasn't Martin Scorsese, how many other filmmakers would I be like, okay, I actually will sit through this thing, which I'm going to, but probably gonna take a couple pee breaks. Probably <laughs> get up, walk around. I mean, the the other thing is, Scorsese takes on these huge epic stories and that's what usually makes a lot of them pretty long but his other movies are run kind of long in, in points too. I mean uh, Casino, great movie. I think definitely Three Hours there's some parts that could have been cut down just a little bit. The Departed, there's definitely parts in that where you're just like can we cut the fat here a little bit and I appreciate Scorsese wanting to show us a lot um, but Man, three and a half hours just feels so daunting. Uh, we were, we were talking a little bit before this yesterday and you made some, some good points that, uh, the Return of the King, the director's cut is this length. The director's cut. No, no, no. The theatrical version is this length. The, the director's cut's fucking over four hours. <laughs> Extended nice. edition, I should say. And, and the reason I, I'm in, For that is it's the end of a trilogy that earned that respect. It's also what received the most nominations for a movie before. Yeah, at that time it was the most nominated movie ever. I think it also had the most wins at the Oscars. One best picture, obviously. I mean, just just a masterpiece. Uh, The the de aging so far uh, in the trailers, I'm not totally sold on, um, but I I have confidence. That Martin Scorsese will not let back in the way of this movie being successful. So, well, do I think the Irishman will be good? Yes. Do I think my take will still be it's too long? <laughs> I do. That's that's my expectation. Um, <laughs> but we'll have plenty of time to talk about the the Irishman. Like you said, it's coming out in November, so we got a couple more months. Something that just came out: Dave Chappelle's Sticks and Stones, newest newest stand up comedy special on Netflix. I think this is fifth one. Yeah, fifth with Netflix. Uh, we know at least the first three. He got twenty million a pop for, and those first four he put those all out in like a year span or so. Really, uh, got to it after the hiatus. long, uh, tough hiatus he was on during the Obama years. This is a very interesting stand-up special for me. Uh, love Dave Chappelle. I found his other specials pretty interesting um this felt way more inflammatory and in your face than the other ones um to me at least and I was kind of left feeling like almost like Dave Chappelle went more for shock value than he did for humor on this and I'm not quite sure what to make of that quite yet how are you feeling just generally about the special yeah I agree with that I think the whole genesis of Chappelle's point, his worldview in this special, um, and it's not as not it's coming out of the blue, uh, he, did, he references past things he's done in these recent Netflix specials, but it really kind of all crystallizes here where Dave Chappelle just clearly does not like the the uh, landscape comedy he's in in 2019. He's certainly not alone with that um, in terms of being called out for things you say in the comedy sphere uh, that are not PC, right? And this is going right at uh, cancel culture, as it were. And a lot of people are coming to his defense that have watched the special and being like, if you don't want to hear these kind of jokes, don't watch the special, which is fine. I think that that is right. But we're also forgetting that you, sh- you should only be saying these fucked up jokes if they're good jokes, if they're funny, right? Like Anthony Jeselnik. He knows his brand. He's really good at this. No one gives him shit because he tells really funny, elaborate jokes that happen to be super fucked up and goes after everyone, right? But it works. And his last special was uh very well received for that earlier this year. But if you're not saying funny things and you're just pissing people off, you can't just say, oh, well, it's comedy. Because if it's bad comedy, then like you're saying, it's just kind of being a, a shock jock for well, what's the purpose, right? And I think right. Deez and Marrow have talked about this where uh, you gotta you gotta got to pick your spots with this. And I think the key is that you have to be funny. And he's funny in the special, but he's not always funny. Mm-hmm. And when you're walking that uh, fine line, um, it's just going to be hit or miss with people. And I think Dave just doesn't like hearing that. Yeah, I think that's a pretty sound analysis of it. Um, there were some bits that hit, like you said. I thought um, him, especially talking about R. Kelly, and coming right after the the Michael Jackson stuff, which I, I found very tough to listen to. Um, but you know, I, I didn't. I, the the big joke for that was, right, well, you gotta teach these twelve year olds there's no free trip to Hawaii, and it's like, oh wow, that's
1: and, and you know. Colkin,
0: uh, right? On, on on a still pure, apparently, right? Okay, T- yeah. tough stuff there um but then i did feel like he he bounced back with r Kelly stuff and Mm -hmm. um you know especially talking about the the lady who wanted him to be in the documentary and using him as like it's too salacious dave chappelle didn't even want to be in he's like i didn't even know who she was like i felt like that was decent um but it was very up and down um the the alphabet people i found to be uh Insightful in some respects because right. he shows some knowledge of the inner inter LGBTQ community politics and right uh, roots, but about the car specifically, right? But I, I found I found reducing them to uh, the the alpha people to be quite reductionist, and mm-hmm. I think really the thing that comes through on this is uh, Dave really seems to not necessarily under uh, show an understanding of power dynamics at all times throughout this i I think he um i think specifically talking about uh like uh, transgender people um he seems to really not understand the experiences and and the difficulties that they go through you know especially when he started doing the the face like if i was an asian person if i felt like i was an asian person in my body i felt like that was just like right I, i really literally almost turned it off at that point so um he, he also had a classic, uh, he said this more than once, you know, I have gay friends, or right? I have friends with all the letters, and it's like, you know, like, yep. we, we've heard that used, uh, to horrific, uh, effect when it's, well, I have black friends, so let me mm. say something racist now, you know? Right. And again, like, it's all presented in a sphere of comedy, and it's not that Dave is doing anything that different from what he used to do, but, The fastball is just not what it was. Mm -hmm. And if the jokes are sloppy, especially in today's climate, you're just going to catch some flack for it. Like I said, if the jokes are tighter, it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. That's just something he has to reckon with. And you kind of wish that his observational humor would be not so focused on how people react to him. Because, again, he's not making jokes for these people. So why are you basing your whole routine on the expected reaction for these people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just kind of weird. I did like his uh, Jesse Smollett jokes, though. Uh, Jesse Smollett. I thought that was a really funny introduction mm-hmm. to that whole thing. And then the, uh, having the cops ask where Kanye was at the time. Uh, that, that was a good callback. Uh, and abortion, you know, you're you kind of like on the edge of your seat when he's talking about it, like, what's he going to say here. mm mm-hmm. um, and he come, you know, he apparently comes out in support of right to choose. If he's not a pro-abortion personally guy, and then he immediately goes into, uh, men have the right to be deadbeat dads mm-hmm. as well. That's that kind of funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, did you feel like you got a lot of, like the black perspective that you expect from Dave Chappelle? I, I didn't so much. I mean, apart from, uh, shooting up schools is a white man's game. It didn't feel like he, he brought up. A whole lot of like what's unique to Dave in this one just felt really scattershot. Yeah, I don't feel like we got much perspective, uh, from Dave beyond he, uh, like you said, he obviously doesn't feel very content with where comedy's at or PC culture is at. And, um, I think for someone who's so thoughtful, you think about what the Chappelle show was and why it succeeded. It was, it was, the type, it was the type of humor where it was like shocking at first, but then you were like, wow, that was actually a really good point. Or that is something that, um, you know, it embodies an issue that's going on or something that people from different cultures do. And it was so, so smart and so well thought out. And this just feels a bit like, uh, like that old, old person who doesn't really want to, uh, move forward, uh, and just kind of wants things to stay the same. Um, But comedy isn't where it was at when he stepped away. And I think that's something he's still trying to reckon with at this point. Um, just one one last thing I wanted to ask you about. How did you feel about the Louis C K stuff? Uh that was I mean, he talks about that, he talks about Kevin Hart, two guys Mm -hmm. he's friends with and Yeah, it's kind of I mean he's just kinda dismissing. Mm did and you know and it, he's not the first one to say like lou ck what you do was it so bad about all that but you did he just doesn't care about the other perspective of it he just has his has his thoughts on the matter and that's all right. that he's going to present or reckon with so uh, some people will find it funny some won't but he, it's he's just not like deeply thinking of isaac that's that was my friend and You know, I'm a victim blamer. Here's why all that. You know, that's just, he he doesn't, there's really no insight. Yeah. Uh, I agree. And uh, going back to the idea of like, uh, or the observation that he maybe doesn't understand the power perspectives at play, uh, sure, the way Dave presents it, it's like, oh, yeah, Louis C.K., maybe what he did wasn't as bad as some of the other sexual uh, offenses that have come to light. But, it still doesn't make it okay and it still doesn't make it um, consensual or, and like you said, that other perspective is really lacking, um, it, which I think is in contrast to another co- a comed- a comedy special we just talked about in terms of Liz Osari, who I think tried to be very thoughtful um, in terms of how he presented his perspective, maybe not always done perfectly, but he seemed to put a little bit more thought into it than, Dave Chappelle did so uh, I don't know a a bit disappointing for sure Uh, still going to watch his next special because uh, I think he's earned the the right to have some clunkers but I really do hope that he finds more of a a voice and perspective that's in 2019 or 2020 whenever the next one comes out so why don't we move on though to uh, some more I guess like Showbiz News, Annapurna Pictures, a production and distribution company known for producing movies as Vice, which we, re- we reviewed last year. Check that out. The Masters, Zero Dark Thirty, Spring Breakers, Her, some pretty big, very artistic movies. Recently had a bailout. Dave, give me the deets the of that. Yeah, so Annapurna came, a- came about in 2011, founded by... Megan Ellison, who's notable for being the daughter of Larry Ellison, the billionaire CEO of Oracle. And Megan Ellison sought out to have Annapurna be a place for auteur-driven films. And she, as you said, she made a lot of good movies or financed a lot of good movies to show you a lot of good films. Uh, also recently, Phantom Thread uh, and Beale Street last year. Yeah. And... The thing is, Annapurna has kind of been held up, you know, alongside like A24 and more recently like Neon as these smaller distributors, not among the big ones, not your, your Paramounts, your Lionsgates, your Universals, your Disney's, your Foxes, right? Your Sony's, the smaller ones. They they only put out a few movies a year. They're not financing blockbusters, but you generally look at them for as a mark for quality because they're picking good movies from good people with good talent. And. The problem with uh, Annapurna has been that it's been known for a while that they just have not been doing well financially because a lot of their movies have just been losing money. And a lot of insider chatter about the choices uh, Megan had made with the film she chose to uh, finance and, 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 you know, push through. And then it obviously came to a head where they were exploring bankruptcy uh, that came out like a month ago or so. And then uh, the most recent development we know is that the, the company is basically saved because, uh, Larry Ellison, uh, came in to basically negotiate the debt down. $200 million in debt with, uh, the various lenders and stuff. And we don't mean to get into the finance of, uh, the details of the banks or anything, but it is interesting because you feel like Annapurna will now change and the talk is that they're not going to operate on credit anymore. They'll finance films on a case by case basis or even Megan will just finance movies herself. But, I think they're gonna change in their decisions, which probably is not great for the hardcore film fan like you or me, because they're just gonna be more uh apparently, gonna be more risk averse now because they financially need to be. And movies like The Sisters Brothers that came out last year with Joaquin Phoenix and John C. Riley this critically adored Western period film that just did not find an audience at all and lost tens of millions of dollars. Everyone else thought that was a bad bet. Megan financed it anyway. Is that movie going to get financed now? And if it doesn't, it just doesn't get made anymore. So I think it's just it's a bit of a death nail for the the mid tier, the mid budget movie that we that just doesn't succeed the box office anymore. Because now it looks like we're not going to see them made as much, which which does suck. Yeah, it's it's a bit um, it's a bit. Sad, but I think it's also a testament to this box office this summer and just in general being not as strong. You know, the summer's been especially tough, um, in terms of the, like good movies. Uh, and it's been buoyed by some, some major, major films this year. Um, but overall, you know, I, I keep going back to the conversation I think we had a year ago about this similar topic of what's going to happen to those mid tier movies and, like you like just alluded to, they're probably going to go away or just become very rare. But what does that do for movie making? Does it make it just uh, these, these mega box office hits or the tiny tiny art films that are you know million dollar budget, barely that? Um, it feels like there's a whole gap. There's going to be this huge chasm that has to be filled by something. Um, and now Anna Perna in particular has been tour driven. And, um, I think Megan Ellison has been, uh, making smart choices in terms of directors she's, uh, been working with. You know, even the ones you listed off there, the, the movies there, it's, I think three of the four you mentioned were, uh, Oscar nominated. Yeah. Um, and just really impressive. <sighs> but I feel like something has to move in and take advantage of that now. A24 obviously is a very, you know, building respect. It's a newer production company that's been making a lot of noise in the last couple of years with some of its choices. I feel like something has to kind of come in and fill that gap so that these mid-tier movies can continue. I don't just see them going away, but I also don't know what is going to fill that. Yeah. And actually, you know, it's kind of concerning. It's kind of, I guess, happening in tandem with this now is Fox Searchlight is now under the purview of Disney. Mm-hmm. And from what we know, Disney is kind of par down the forthcoming Fox productions that are in various stages of development. Only going to complete the, <clears throat> I guess the the stuff that's most likely to succeed, and some stuff will go Disney Plus. Some stuff just straight up canned or to shelf, right? Mm-hmm. And the future of Fox Searchlight, you know, movies that the good ones basically break even, but it's a brand that has consistently been at the top of the Oscars and just in terms of leading with nominations and there's a stamp of quality there. But will Disney sacrifice its bottom line by contributing resources to a, a sub-brand that won't actually be profitable? Because if Fox Searchlight also goes away and Annapurna has to be more conservative, then we're really even in a tougher spot because yeah. A24 is fine. They have you know, the deal with Apple to booing them. But A24 also makes goes for movies that cost nothing mm-hmm. and they do platform releases and they generally uh, they spend low on marketing it's usually very internet driven so A24 is already being conservative in how they approach all of this so uh, I think the, the, we know Perna will survive for now <laughs> you know I think Meg, Megan won't be able to finance everything on her own she will need to just pick stuff that can at least break even right or just pick stuff that just overly costs less And, but yeah I mean Movies that cost 40 million bucks, 50 million bucks. It's, it's just harder and harder to see a path to success, especially in this box office climate. So, uh, the, this, the pen is, the ink is not dry. Um, this, this phenomenon, but, uh, in Annapurna, they, they gave away the rights to hustlers, that Jennifer Lopez movie with, Cardi uh, B and, uh, Kansas Wu coming out in a week or two. And they even, uh, gave up Bombshell, the Roger Ailes, uh, mm. story movie with that stacked cast. Already, you know, and that feels like something they should have stuck with. But I guess after Vice, they're like, now we should maybe wait, which is weird because like Vice is considered a financial failure for Annapurna, even though it was talked about a lot and still Mm. nominated for a lot of Oscars, including Best Picture. So, uh, tough stuff overall, but yeah, we'll see what happens. It feels like there's an opportunity for something like Amazon. I think I mentioned this when we talked about last time to like really fill that void, you know, they, we talked about how they're kind of in no man's land, it seems like with their streaming service. Um, and obviously they they have the uh, Lord of the Rings property coming and that might push them one way or the other out of that. But uh, they've they've had their hand in a lot of our tour-driven movies um, in the right. last couple of years. It feels like maybe they can move into that, that space and have the capital to keep these sort of moves afloat. That's the thing. Amazon definitely has the wherewithal to do this, but it feels like they're not going to because late night, which they bought for like $50 million at Sundance, has totally flopped. And a lot of their movies have not made much money. We've talked about it. tons of Amazon releases, Amazon Studio Films. Um, a lot of them are good, but they haven't really had any box office hits apart from uh, The Big Sick and then Manchester by the Sea. Um, it's been a while since they had anything else. So it, from what, what we hear, it sounds like the theatrical wide release or semi-wide release that they've been pursuing might be done. From Amazon, which kind of sucks. It's like they have they they could they could lose some money on this property, but you know Amazon's not an altruistic company, so uh, yeah. I, I don't know yeah. if we can look at them just yet. Maybe an Apple is just making TV at the moment. So, but you know, with I hope as you hope, Disney emboldens Fox Searchlight in hopes that dominate the Oscars as well. You know, that's, you know what my hope lies with Amazon though. It's like Sure, they're going to take a hit on it in the short term, but as the streaming wars are, are ramping up, you're going to want to have more and more on right. your streaming service that it's is been cool. unique. So maybe that's maybe they see the opportunity to say, okay, these movies in the short term aren't going to make us money, but in the long term, will drive people to that platform. I mean, the hard part for Amazon for that though is the platform comes with a, a subscription to the Amazon shipping service, which is. It's just a feature of the subscription. It's not the main reason people are buying the subscription to begin with. So that's where the that, that might fall flat. Uh, Amazon, hit me up. I want to talk to you about this. We need to save these, these middle tier movies. Go see <laughs> and support middle tier movies in theaters folks. Um, a, a movie that might not get as much support as was originally believed. <laughs> Mulan 2020. Uh The live action, the Film that Disney is remaking has come under fire recently. There's a lot of um, civil unrest over in Hong Kong and China right now. Um, it's it's uh, it's been difficult to see how these issues around um, some of the legislation uh, legis- legislation in there you go. China um around like uh the the draft over there and how it's um allowed criminal suspects in Hong Kong to be extradited to mainland China and things like that for having to serve it's uh it's been difficult to see how the government and the police force over there has been handling that it's caused a lot of uh discord a lot of conflict and one of the conflicts that's come out of it has been around uh Lu Yifei the lead actress playing Mulan uh, coming out in support of the government over there. And it's led to a uh, boycott Mulan movement on social media. Dave, are you going to boycott Mulan? Where are you following in this? Yeah. It, it, very interesting. Fairly uh, really unexpected thing. Because mm. obviously it's coming from the Hong Kong folks uh, who are protesting. But Support of the, the the Chinese government and the authoritarian state that it is, is not, uh, uncommon from famous, uh, Chinese people. Jackie Chan has done this multiple times. And the boycott Mulan thing, uh, I think the, the goal was to, to have this permeate over here in the West, right? Because Hong Kong specifically is a box office, right? Not all of China, but just Hong Kong itself. I mean, I think Beauty and the Beast, which is the the remake, which is like the 16th highest-grossing film of all time, that made under $10 million in Hong Kong. So Hong Kong is such a small piece of a pie that Disney would never, and they haven't commented at all on this, they they would never give any credence to this you know, uh, just because it's not in their business interest, right? <laughs> but it's been weaponized in the other way. So Port Mulan, that's what the mainland China, uh, pro-Chinese government people are saying. And it's kind of weird that Disney, a company that doesn't want to be political at all, uh, now is in the, it's in their best interests to appease the authoritarian Chinese government directly. Mm-hmm. They already take advantage of their movie Gun public, right? But now it's like <laughs> to, to go to Mulan apparently is a is 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 a, is a pro-communist, a pro-police state act now if Something you're in China. Like- tough look um yeah disney reminds me a lot of taylor swift in terms of too uh, almost too big to fail and uh tries to remain as neutral as possible to not ruffle feathers and just have the biggest fan base it can um yeah it's it's interesting because i i guess as i think about this it's i i certainly don't agree with some of what i know of the legislation being proposed over there and um you know it seems like it seems like the chinese government's um like you said authoritarian perspective and, and way of handling their, their business has been exploiting these stars um because i mm perhaps they, they do actually agree, but I feel like it's more like they're pressured into saying these things and fear of re- retribution. And um, I think Disney in terms of uh, how they can, I, I feel like they're in a very difficult per- situation in terms of how they can respond. Most likely they're going to try to ignore this and hope it goes away. But if it gets closer to that time and uh tensions are still high, it feels like they're going to have to say something. And I wonder at that time how they would speak out or if they would try to take some perspective to try to, uh, middle, or find some middle ground in this. Cause I can't, I can't see them speaking out against right. it. So here's, and the movie, Mulan Remake, which is already done being filmed and all that, doesn't come out until March 27th next year. Will the Hong Kong protests still be this, uh, active and uh in the news that far in advance probably not uh we no one expects the hong kong conflict with the rest of china to subside by then Then the active protests and occupying a place like the airport so i i doubt that's still directly happening day to day come march right so no i mean yeah it's possible but i just wonder if the the movement is as you know uh, in it, it, pronounced at that time. I'm sure it probably will certainly come back up again, but the the goal would be to get Western audiences and other audiences to to ignore it. But I just don't. There's just not going to be enough exposure to why this is a problem for some people, and people are just going to show up. And I mean, let's let's be real for a second. The Lion King remake, despite critical derision, is about to be the sixth highest grossing movie of all time. And like I said, Beauty and the Beast is top twenty. Jungle Book was almost a billion. Mulan probably won't make Lion King money, but it's going to be a huge hit. And it's really hard to put a dent in that. So I, I would be surprised if Disney says anything at all. But it is notable that back at D23, when they showed footage, their their star, their Mulan, was not present. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like they're not aware. But I wonder if, if tensions still are high, if they would consider pushing it back at all. Now, I know that might... My- mm affects their timeline in, in terms of how they're rolling these out. But it's also the sort of thing where they rolled out three live, live action distance at that point. You also have the new lady in the tramp, uh, hitting deep, uh, the streaming services, Disney plus at that point. Um, it feels like it, if they needed to, they could just push this off until frustrations around it subsided. Um, but it's not the sort of thing that I think will go away it, whenever the movie drops is going to pop back up. Right. I don't think it's the way they can avoid it. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see how they deal with it, but Disney just in general, man. Um, how how much more do you think they need to possess to officially become a, a monopoly in this culture? It's just Ugh. crazy. Well, that's the thing. It's like they already dominate the box office to such an extreme, and I expect their market share to go down next year. They just don't have as an impressive a slate. Uh, come next year, no Star Wars movie, no Lion King remake. Only two Marvel movies this time, uh, you know. It's, it's, so, it's not it's not 2019 for them next year, but right. um, you know Warner Brothers, a lot of their big stuff either flopped or was only a modest success this year. That's now we want to see if anything you want WB to be like the other pillar, mm-hmm. um, but we just saw CBS and Viacom merge, and we just talked about how Amazon might be uh, pulling. Powering down their their film acquisitions, and it's hard to see Disney not, uh, maintain its dominance for, for who knows how long, man. I mean, we already know there's their calendar after, from 2021 on, it's Star Wars or Avatar every other year for, uh, six years, you know? So it's, and that's the holiday sector. We know the MCU will take care of the rest of the year. So, um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's pretty, I guess it's bleak. It's bleak if you're into other stuff. Yeah, and uh, I think that ties in nicely the the mid-tier movies like we just talked about. It's if you have one company that makes such high profits off its movies, it's not going to want to invest in the movies that will only make a small profit. Right. Um, and all others follow suit. So, uh, uh something else that I, I wonder if if Marvel will be pushed back but the hunt Is certainly being pushed back and shelved for the foreseeable future, as after the El Paso and Dayton shootings earlier, um, earlier in August, um, they decided that they're not going to be releasing this movie uh, starring Betty Gilpin, yeah, Glow fame and Hilary Swank from uh, Million Dollar Baby (laughs) thing, lots of other things. Um, Also, I didn't know that. Yeah, and this is written by Damon Lindelof, which yeah, I didn't know. Co-writer, yeah. Pretty Emma cool. Roberts also in it. Um, yeah. So it's it's interesting. Uh, well, when I first heard this, I thought yeah, that makes sense. But as as I've sat with this for the last couple of weeks, I kind of been going back and forth with: Is this a good precedent to set for artistic properties? And uh. Movies in general, that real world events can so heavily impact what people decide to put out um, and I'm wondering where where you're falling in terms of how are you feeling about this news in general, but then more the idea of like should these real world events be influencing what movies and what kind of stories are being told right and it's important to note that initially universal. Pulled a lot of the advertisements and marketing for the hunt. But then once Trump, uh, tweeted, he didn't name the movie, but he blamed the film and Hollywood overall for the cause of, uh, gun violence in the country. The next day, the hunt was completely pulled off the calendar. And they haven't said it, it, it's shelved permanently, but, you know, as of right now, we don't know if we'll ever see, it, it'll see the it light of day. And, This is not the first time that like ads have been pulled or stuff, but it just kind of came at a bad time where, remember, blaming video games for gun violence was back in the news, right? And then blaming Hollywood, these are two things that are not old ideas but are constantly uh, picked apart and shut down by anyone with a brain. And then to immediately kind of bow down to uh, the whims of Trump and he, whether he believes that or not doesn't matter, but that that that's the message you're sending, right? right. And it kind of harkens back to, remember uh, the interview, Seth Rogen and Franco, yep. a movie about North Korea going to kill uh, Kim Jong-un? And that movie was pulled from theater distribution completely due to like bomb threats, vague terror threats. And whether there was any credence to that, I can understand the theater chains deciding to n- not risk it Right. Mm-hmm. That's set, that, that, that's fine. And we still got a VOD release and frankly marketed the movie pretty well, yeah. quite well in the end. But for the hunt, you know, <laughs> it's not like nothing else violent came out recently. We just got Angel has fallen, right? Mm-hmm. A movie that deals with, uh, stereotypical Middle Eastern villains and brazen gun violence from Gerard, Gerard Butler, right? Um, and it's not like we haven't had violence against civilians uh that might be politically motivated. How many this movie's co-produced by Blumhouse and Jason Blum. How many Purge movies have we seen so far? Right. Don't seem to care about those, right? Mm-hmm. So I, as you're saying, I think the precedent for this is just really stupid. And you know, the movie does sound a bit inflammatory. And apparently it might have at one point been called Red State versus Blue State. The whole concept, of course, is that these elitist, uh, globalist folks are rounding up deplorables to go hunt and kill them, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Basically, a a remake of The Most Dangerous Game in the 20th century, but with a clear contemporary uh, U.S. spin on it. Mm -hmm. But why don't you let the audience determine if that uh, if the satire works or not, you know? Let them decide if the movie is worth all the hub-hub. But to just completely uh, not put the movie out at all because you're worried about the backlash and it's just a weak move from universal in my opinion yeah i, I felt like um you know it, it's easy to be reactionary around these sort of issues you know uh you talk about how influential things can be um and certainly like you said video games are not to blame for gun violence uh, mental health is not to blame for gun violence. Um, there's a lot more that goes into it than um, just someone watching something and deciding, oh, that sounds like a good idea. I want to go do that. Certainly, uh, people can see things sometimes and it can make them uh, think, oh, I want to look further into this or I want to maybe learn more about this, but it doesn't actually mean that they're going to go do it. Where I feel really, I think, frustrated about this situation is, uh, like you said, this was a movie that was. Probably going to be inflammatory because it was written uh, to look at both perspectives on the issue, and it was probably going to leave a lot of people feeling one way or the other, like their perspective either wasn't represented correctly, or potentially what they didn't like seeing the other perspective represented the way it was going to be. Because people, I think, oftentimes are living in this bubble where they don't want to challenge their perspectives, but more want you know that a confirmation bias. Um, But without giving the audience or anybody a a chance to do that we're just left here with this possibility and having this argument over something we don't know about right now no one's seen it at all i think potentially the the ads could have been altered or just done differently uh Mm -hmm. because you know even watching the the trailers for it it looks like a violent trailer it looks like a violent movie the ads were uh this like warning coming on like there's an emergency service thing so it kind of puts you in the sense of like insecurity or vulnerability or fear um, and that potentially could have been changed to try to reduce that media impact and the release had been pushed back to October already so kind of like the Mulan thing I think there's an opportunity to uh, let I mean, the gun debate has been raging for years and years now in America, but let the immediacy of the tragedies in El Paso and Dayton die down. And then to release this with a different uh spin in, in the trailer, so to speak. Right. It's important to note, too, that a piece was written in the National Review that described the whole concept of the movie as something that's pro-Trump and anti-progressive. So I think really for anyone to to declaratively say what the message of the movie is, whose side it, 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 it's supporting, if it's satire at all. Like you said, no one's seen it. So mm-hmm. we're to put the movie out and determine that on our own. And if you want to wait a little bit, maybe not directly advertise it until there's some, some distance with the, the, the shootings. That's one thing, but I really hope we do see it at some point, even if it's just a VOD release. I hope so too. Um, Something we probably will get, though, and that has been leaking recently, unlike The Hunt, is Yandi. Kanye's loose tracks that are reportedly on the Yandi album, unconfirmed by Kanye's team, but that's been the, the buzz around it. Yeah. The interesting thing I find about these leaks is, uh, you know, Kanye's been kind of doing this for a long time now. Uh, probably the most well-known uh, of these is the, the Good... Music, the Good Friday uh, mm-hmm. gimmick where he was dropping songs every Friday, but there were other songs coming out on different days. And right. um, a, a lot of the songs that are on my Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy had been dropped in in different forms that not not the final album forms. But this is kind of, this is something that happens around Kanye and Drake and people like that, uh, rappers like that, um, and artists like that. But I had no idea that these tracks had even dropped. And I think that speaks to two things. One, uh, Kanye ain't what he used to be, but also, or, or he, I should, I should mention that. Kanye is not the megastar he used to be. Um, cause I think if, if this was Kanye 2011 were no. all over the when they dropped. Um, maybe not 2011, maybe 20, 2009 or something like that. Um, if this was, but the other thing is, I don't, I'm not tuned into these drops because I listen to my music all in the same way, or two ways. Mm-hmm. I either listen to it, uh, on my record player, which is all old albums at this point, or right. I listen to it on streaming. And these leaks aren't on streaming. Right. Yeah. Uh, so what we know about this leak is five tracks leaked on July 19th. Quite some, quite, 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 quite a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um. A few others came out in snippets at the end of uh, 2018. A uh, verse or two might have been performed on SNL. Uh, I Love It was an official release, A Little Pump, of course. So it's been spread out. And yeah, I think, I, I mean, you, you nailed it right away. Music listening today is as easy as it's ever been. And thus, the wide audience is just trained. It's just uh, muscle memory now to not look very hard. Just have the music you want presented right to you, right? Uh, most music today is listened via playlist. People tell you what's good and you listen to the playlist that you like, right? Mm-hmm. New Music Friday, you go, pick your stuff, you listen to it, right? It's very simple. Some people might do a little risky. They might go on YouTube where they have to search for it themselves, but you still get a recommended front page, right? If you, have, if you log in. I think that's the only way you would have known about these leaks, because the thing with leaks, for the most part, is they can exist on YouTube and SoundCloud unless the label's directly going to purge after them. But all the, all the, all these Yandi leaks are out there on YouTube. You can go search for these and listen to them and rip them off and download them if you want. Um, granted, those are leaks. There are a lot of, a lot of the songs are demo quality. Uh, the mix is certainly not final, right? But that's what I guess is what you expect. Um, and yeah, I mean, you mentioned like, we would be, everyone would have been on this if it was 2011 or 2009 because that's because to listen to music, I was on my computer all the time, right? right. And like, I, leaks was just a way bigger thing back then. dot leak.com website literally dedicated to telling you if something actually had leaked yet because back then, everything did leak. It was just a question of when, right? right? Yeah. And I mean, I, should, uh, I, I may or may not have been accustomed to listening to music a week in advance because that's when it would first be available on the internet. And that's just not something that comes up anymore because you don't need to, uh, to to be that hardcore about it. Yep. And I don't say elite culture hasn't gone away; it's just different. But it's about Playboy Cardi now. It's not about Kanye because Kanye's not as uh doesn't have the stands the way someone like Cardi or Uzi does now. Leaks are about like Instagram story snippets, you know. Yep. And it is notable though, like when I went to the Beast Coast show at the end of August. Powers Pleasant, during his DJ set, played uh, Kid Cuddy, aka Pissy Pamper, a unreleased Playboy Cardi song that topped the Spotify viral fifty chart via an illegal upload, because it's an unreleased song. Someone just uploaded it and actually went viral. And that's the song, of course, people you've probably heard it. It's the song in the Brooklyn Nets bench mob meme where they're all dancing on the sideline, it's that Cardi song. So like leaks are still a thing, but I don't think people actively pursue and seek them out unless they're a hardcore stand like those Cardi stands on these days. So in the Kanye instance, it does kind of speak to the lack of widespread musical clout he has right now, I guess, coming off the generally perceived be underwhelming yay last year. So uh very interesting. And you want, and Pusha T uh last week said that he hates this leaks and you know, ruined stuff and his new single, Sociopath, the Cash Doll actually had leaked back in April. I don't even remember that happening because they actually mm-hmm. went out and scrubbed it. Um, but it is interesting that uh, for what it says about Kanye, I suppose. And Cash Doll is on our uh, Nostalgia of Best of 2019 playlist on Spotify. So check that out. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about how far and how much music has changed just in the last four or five years um and i don't know I, I i've been thinking a lot about jai paul right yeah. and his his album leak uh O four thirteen. and i wonder if that's going to become more and more common that there's going to be these unfinished or partially finished albums that just drop because people pick up on a song or two and they're just like, I'm just going to throw this out there on streaming and see if it picks up. And if it does, people are like, yeah, let's just throw that out there, see what it is. And we can tinker with it. You know, you think about Kanye with life of Pablo. Um, you know, the, the, I'm a fix wolves tweet and how that was a, a living album, so to speak, right. a piece of art where he was constantly changing it on title and until he got it right where he wanted it. And, um, it happened with the young thug album. Two weeks ago yeah. as well, throughout the weekend, it was being updated and they, they actually added a machine gun Kelly feature to one of the songs mid weekend. Hmm. So that certainly still continues. So I, I could see that becoming more the norm where it's, you know, not, not quite finished, but you know, putting something out, seeing if it picks up and then just kind of dropping things and tinkering as you go. But I feel like that's also not necessarily the way I want music to be. I, I prefer, uh, people to or artists to work on these finished products and it, i think that kind of brings me around to how are you feeling about these tracks that did leak did you give them a listen at all yeah i listened to them like i said they're all over youtube so you don't have to feel bad about listening to them it's pretty easy um yeah i think some of them were, were solid again it, it's a lot of concepts you know, like where's Kanye at right now and like a lot of these verses aren't finished either there's a placeholder mm-hmm. um bars or sentences right and uh, i think it was alien was it some of the names are different depending on where you're looking because again we don't know the official names of anything but i think alien some of the production sounded pretty cool um but it is also more of the kanye we've come to know recently where he's very uh uh riding the current wave which he's done all the time but in this case it's the soundcloud wave so it's very uh uh self-referential uh low brow punch lines i'd say mm-hmm. but um I mean, there's an X XX, xxx feature on here once again kind of me riding someone that's hot uh, yeah have done that the past five albums four albums right um tion taylor sounded pretty cool on the storm yeah i like i love it again it's an official song though um what did you th- i mean did you like the one L- with L- lauren hill have any, any of these stand after you yeah, uh, the, the storm I thought was pretty good, although the, the one I listened to with, with the storm was, uh, the one with X and Ty dollar sign. So maybe, maybe that one I listened to was, uh, not titled correctly. Um, oh, no, that's the storm. Yeah, I got it wrong. Oh, that is. Okay. Um, and then I, I really liked Alien and New Body. Uh, and New Body, especially tie dollar sign, I think sounds great on that. Nikki's got a pretty finished, uh, uh, verse. Kanye, yeah. uh, obviously, needs be uh, tinkered with on that one uh you know use some of that auto tuners like to make it sound a little more polished but overall i like the tracks um for the most part it's just Yandi has an album he's, you know he's been kind of mentioning it for so long i was really hoping it was going to be deriving more of that soulfulness that he's been showing in the the good sundays or the sunday service right um you know uh, uh tra or a video leaked from this weekend Sunday service in Ohio where he was rapping Jesus Walks and the way he was just like in command of that room and just like the energy pulsing through it, it really made me hope like he was tapping into something from that like soulful old school Kanye type vibe. Because it seems like when especially talking about Yandi named after his mother, perhaps this was gonna be something where he was going back to his roots a bit um, but yeah th- these tracks sound very uh very new school Kanye very modern for him so a little I was a little disappointed by that but again these tracks might not even end up on the album and who knows when we're getting the album we have no information around that so yeah. we just know he he like took eliminate any release dates after camlogna when he performed with Cuddy and he's like, it'll come out when it's ready. I apologize, all that. So it's not like he just, it just came and went. He did officially acknowledge that, which I guess is, is, is nice thing. Thanks for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, by the time a Yandi, whatever the next album is called comes out, a lot of these songs will probably be quite old. Mm-hmm. So I, I would bet against really much of any of this coming out officially. And if any songs do come out, there certainly will be changed. I mean, you remember from what we know, Yay was completely re-recorded after yep. uh, some public. Uh, flat Kanye had taken. Um, that's something I would like to hear with that sound. I'd like, can we leak that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so yeah, I think listen to these songs on YouTube, check them out, uh, try and understand, uh, get, use it to gauge more of where Kanye was at when he was recording these more than anything else, because um, it's a cool look behind the curtain. But yeah, I don't think we're gonna get. And I, I love the, this cool album cover, which is an as a nice, like Yeezus sequel. Yeah. I don't even know if that's real at all, but it's the one that's been ran with at this point. But clearly, none of this is any relation to Jesus, um, production-wise or, or uh, thematically. So, yeah, I think whatever the next album is is probably totally different because it'll just be more recently recorded. Yeah, you know, uh, as we're wrapping up, I think I just I hope Kanye sticks to that where he'll release it when it's ready. Because um, mm-hmm. even something like Yay, like you said, it was re-recorded pretty quickly. Uh, the cover, I think, was taken on the way to the, uh, listening party. party. Yeah. So it's just like, I want, I'd, I'd prefer the Kanye who is meticulous and he's tapping into that artistic creativity, but in a way where he's also like honing it, not just letting it go wherever it wants to go. And that's more like the the contemporary Kanye at this point. So. Good. I wonder if good ass job. If that exists, leak that. I want to hear that. <laughs> um, what we got for next week, Dave? Yeah, so next week we'll talk about the Tool and Lion Del Rey records that came out recently. We'll also talk about The Deuce, third and final season premiere. Uh, IDK also dropping his debut album. Is he real excited for that? That guy can really rap. Um, That's all the major stuff, and I'm sure there's uh, some other stuff will will, will come up. But yeah, plenty to discuss. Uh, the movies are really going to pick up in September, so we'll have plenty of that soon enough. The summer's almost over, then we're on to the start of Oscar season. Can't wait for that. A lot, a lot of good TV coming too. So, going to be a lot. So stay tuned. Hit that subscribe button on YouTube. Go to SoundCloud.com/slash/NostalgiaPod. Go to Twitter at NostalgiaPod, and give us that five star reading review on iTunes. Uh, we'll catch you next week. Yeah.